0: A CNN story leads with the news that, quote, America's jobs recovery is slowing down, close quote. That sounds unfortunate, but not disastrous, more like a blip in a generally positive trend. And if you stop reading there, you might think that's what's going on. But only if your knowledge of the unemployment crisis comes just from news media as opposed to real life. Because while some politicians and pundits debate whether Democrats should speak the word socialism, millions of Americans are out of work, lacking health care, and running out of the benefits they've been using to hold things together. Why is that? And what would a policy program that centered those people look like? And then again, what kind of reporting might help us get there? We're joined now by Josh Bivens, Research Director at the Economic Policy Institute and author of Failure by Design, the Story Behind America's Broken Economy, and Everybody Wins, Except for Most of Us, What Economics Really Teaches About Globalization. He joins us now by phone from Washington, D.C. Welcome back to Counterspin, Josh Bivens. Thanks for having me. Well, I wonder if you could give us some grounding in the scope of the unemployment problem. Media often use numbers without context. And then if the context is the recovery is slowing, that seems itself to require more context. Roughly how many people out of work are we talking about and why is it so hard to say?
1: So I think it's hard to say in large part because of how unusual this economic crisis has been. It's been driven by a you know, once-in-a-lifetime so far and hopefully once-in-a-lifetime ever pandemic. I think the best summary of sort of how damaged the U.S. job market remains is that at the end of September, if you just compare how many jobs were in the economy then versus how many jobs should have been in the economy given the jobs that were there before the pandemic and just the natural growth in the economy over time, you're looking at a gap of about 11 million workers. And so I think that sort of 11 million jobs gap is probably the best way to think about the distance from where we are today and where we would be in something looking like a healthy economy.
0: And you have to think also about people who maybe they haven't lost their job, but they've lost hours. Lots of folks are impacted. That footprint is much wider than even sort of people applying for unemployment benefits might demonstrate, right?
1: That's definitely right. If you include people who would normally be working full-time but are reporting themselves part-time for economic reasons, and then you include people who, when you ask them, have you had any interruption in your work over the past couple of months related to the virus, then you're getting much closer to a number like 25 million people who have had something about their working situation still damaged as of September.
0: Turns out wishing it away doesn't work. There seems to be a kind of magical thinking that, you know, if we stop thinking about it, it will go away. And and it almost seems like something's happening with benefits. If they expire, then somehow the suffering will end. Uh, at the end of July, Republicans let that $600 across-the-board increase in unemployment insurance benefits expire. And now, if I understand it right, if nothing happens, other federal programs are going to expire, too, right around Christmas, right?
1: So that's right. So the sort of CARES Act, which was the big sort of relief and recovery legislation signed in the spring, it included the extra $600 for everybody collecting unemployment that ran out, like you said, at the end of July. It also did a really good thing in... Normally, our unemployment insurance system is super patchy in terms of who actually qualifies to get benefits when they lose a job. If you think about Uber drivers or other people who are not classified as employees but are instead classified, often incorrectly, as independent contractors, they can't get UI. You think about genuine correctly classified independent contractors who suffer during recessions, but they can't get it. They instituted something in the CARES Act, the Pandemic Unemployment Assistance Program, that actually just greatly expanded the universe of people who could collect unemployment insurance benefits. That's what runs out at the end of this year. It's been terrible to roll out because we have disinvested so much in our UI systems over recent decades, but it was a real attempt to make our sort of, you know, welfare state much more protective, kind of trying to do it on the fly with a rickety system. where there's was a super admirable effort. And it did pay off. Like tens of millions of people actually got some aid through this expanded PUA program. And that indeed does go away at the end of this year if Congress does nothing.
0: And of that, uh, a recent EPI press release says the cruelty is mind-blowing, which I know are not terms in which economists generally speak, you know, although maybe they should, because economics is always life or death or can be. But the idea of Senate Republicans blocking relief, you know, seeing people hurting through no fault of their own and blocking aid to those people. Cruelty is the first thing that comes to mind. But the work that you've been doing recently has been trying to convey that Although cruelty should be enough, it also is bad economics. I wonder how you explain that to people.
1: There's sort of an overlapping set of economic crises going on. Like we had the huge contraction of economic activity in the middle of this year when things shut down. Restaurants, hotels, air travel came to an almost complete standstill. And then when you sort of shut off economic activity like that, if you don't do anything to provide people income, When their jobs go away, you're going to layer another crisis on top of that, which is you can reopen the restaurants, but if people don't have money to spend in them, the activity, the jobs, the the sort of self-sustaining income, that just won't come back. And so we actually had a pretty good third quarter of economic activity this year, measured by like GDP, and we even got some good jobs coming back. And there were two things going on. One, we just reopened a bunch of things, maybe some of them prematurely probably, but things reopened, restaurants, hotels, things like that. And in the meantime, at least until August, we provided – pretty generous unemployment insurance with the extra $600, and we provided the $1,200 stimulus checks. In terms of getting people's income stabilized during the crisis, we did things right with the CARES Act. The problem was it all ran out. There was one stimulus check, then it was done. The extra unemployment insurance benefits ran out at the end of July. And so now we got about half the jobs back that we lost earlier in the crisis by September but we're still 11 million short. That's a huge job gap. That's like a really bad recession in and of itself. And now we've got no further policy aid at all. And so those next 11 million jobs, even if the virus goes away, which as you noted, it has not gone away. Even if it did go away, those remaining 11 million jobs to get back were gonna be tough to get. And they're gonna be almost impossible unless we get some real income support for people in the meantime. And so we've basically just made recovery Much, much harder than it has to be by cutting off that unemployment insurance. And we're not going to see like the three and a half percent unemployment we had before the pandemic struck. We're not going to see that again for years unless we do something to provide much stronger income support for people going forward.
0: Well, let me ask you, finally, we tend to have a very narrow vision of the field of economics. We imagine it to be univocal and uncontested, uh, and that leads to imagining that we as people don't have fundamental choices in the way we want work to be valued and resources to be distributed, which leads me to ask, given that we're in a moment of potential change, what would... A worker-centered economy look like, an economy that centered the very folks who have been kind of used and abused, you know, flotsam and jetsam in the current situation and have realized the tenuousness of the jobs that they do have and the health care that's attached to those jobs. What would it mean to build an economy around working people? And what would be some of the key pieces of that?
1: Yeah, it's a great question. So I would say first, there's definitely no silver bullet There was not like one piece of legislation that passed at some point that so disempowered workers. It was just sort of a steady, steady chipping away of anything that gave workers any leverage or bargaining power in the labor market. And so centering workers in a genuine recovery and really trying to rebuild uh, economic security, it's going to take movement on a bunch of fronts. Some really important fronts. One is just make returning To very low rates of unemployment for a very long time, an absolutely key part of all policy that in sort of when you're recovering from recessions, that requires fiscal policy. It requires that relief and recovery. Once the economy gets up and running, that requires a Federal Reserve that's not going to prematurely stomp on the brakes in the name of fighting inflation that might happen at some point in the future. Instead, we need to really let, you know, good recoveries ride for as long as they possibly can. I think it means restoring really key labor standards, like the federal minimum wage. When you measure it, you know, inflation adjusted, the federal minimum wage is really low today relative to historical experience, far below what it was at its high watermarks in the 1960s and 70s. And so a really substantial increase in that is key to making sure we have a, a really good high wage floor. I think another huge part is trying to restore the ability of workers to bargain collectively. We've allowed unions to just get savaged by a combination of Increased employer aggressiveness in fighting them, and a federal government that doesn't keep the playing field level—it just basically tells the corporations, "Yep, you go after unions in legal and illegal means, and we'll do nothing serious to stop it." I think those are three really important things, and then I think there's just you know dozens of other everyday's and rules and regulations, whether it's OSHA or wage an hour or wage theft, just all these different margins that we sort of abandoned, that are supposed to protect workers, and we haven't protected them. And I think those need to be rebuilt. But basically, it requires a group of committed people every day waking up to think, how can we actually buttress instead of erode workers' leverage and bargaining power in the labor market?
0: We've been speaking with Josh Bivens. He's Research Director at the Economic Policy Institute. They're online at epi.org. Josh Bivens, thanks for joining us this week on Counterspin.
1: Thanks for having me.